Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good. It feels to me like it's been a long time since we've done this. It has been. It's been a while. It's been like almost two weeks. Yeah, but listeners don't know because we've we've just been pumping out content. We don't miss a beat here at POV. We had them stockpiles. <laughs> What's new with you, Christian? Uh, not much. Uh, it's Monday, so you know, just trying to uh, to get my week in order. How about you? You just moved? Yeah, I'm in a in a brand new spot. It's literally twice as big as my old spot. And so all of our furniture is just like in one room and this brand new room that we have is just completely empty. We have nothing there but all of my plants. But, you know, I'm going to get some stuff. It's going to be cool. <laughs> nice. Um, Neighborhood-wise, how does it compare to your old spot? That was a good... Uh, it's the same neighborhood. Nice. <laughs> we just went to the other side of the hill. <laughs> I, so I lived in the same house uh, all 18 years of my life before I went off to college. And then I came back right to like seven blocks away from my, my OG house. And now I'm like uh, 15 blocks away from my house. So I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, expanding here. You're not in that comfort zone. Yeah. I mean, you say you're trying to go to Europe and New York, but yet you're 15 <laughs> blocks away from your childhood home. Who's the conservative one here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna store up the, store up this like energy of of seeing the world for as long as I can, and I'm just gonna release it all in one go and never come back to America. <laughs> nice, and you can take your uh, your uh, SOV ETH with you. Yeah, my ETH and my DAI will go with me wherever I go, and my and my compound. Cool. So, David, what are we talking about on this uh, on this next episode of POV Crypto? So we got two topics that we want to talk about. Uh, we can go, we can pick which one we want to go first on. Um, one thing I think is really interesting is the macro macroeconomic events that have happened lately. Uh, Trump or China decided to devalue its currency, which is going to, we all assume, cause Trump to do something. Uh, in the words of my roommate, the trade war is on, as if it hasn't been on already. And so that's the so the stock market took a huge tumble today, um, and Bitcoin is up like 8%. So like the stock market is down 3%, Bitcoin's up 8%. Uh, and then this is also in the tailwind of, of the Fed uh, announcing that they were going to lower interest rates, which is like exactly what the Bitcoin narrative is. Uh, and Bitcoin pumps on, these, on this news. And so this is, this is Bitcoin behaving as Bitcoin is supposed to, according to the theses of everyone. Like... Previously, we've never really seen Bitcoin behave or listen to the outside world, the outside financial system. But this, I think, was one of the most salient examples of Bitcoin uh, behaving exactly how you would expect it to with concerning the value proposition of the asset. And so the fact that it's starting to like... um, Bitcoin is an uncorrelated asset, but it's starting to correlate itself with the macroeconomic world, right? It's starting to be inside the same picture. Uh, And so that, I think, is a first, I think. Uh, And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, there's always like little signs of being correlated, like people quote Cyprus as a time when Bitcoin pumped. So um, it's just, I feel like the pool of people that are aware of Bitcoin right now has increased significantly. Um and it's kind of in the mainstream now. So it's kind of interesting to see the digital gold uncorrelated asset hedge against uh, uncertainty 
narratives playing out at least, you know, in this one day. A lot of people would point to other events too, but uh, I mean, it's kind of feels like vindication a little bit. I've only been harping on this for two years, so I know there's a lot of people who have been at it for a lot longer, but it's it's kind of cool to see it, even though my uh, my stock portfolio is taking some serious hits. Oh, it's a wash for you? <laughs> I don't know about a wash, but, you know, there's uh, that's uh, diversification right there. I think we're just going to see this happen just more and more. And I think, like, the first step is the macroeconomic trend trends downwards. Like, the stock market goes down, interest rates go down, trade work goes up, Bitcoin goes up. And then, you know, inside the cryptocurrency world, we're like, oh, like, you know, this makes sense. Uh, and then, like, the next step is for, like, CNBC to, like, Trump tweets out, we're going to nuke China. And then CNBC uh, has on their front page, Trump tweets out, we're going to nuke China. Should you buy Bitcoin? And then that's, like, step two. And then and then it's much more mainstream. For, and it's, like, something along the lines of, like, the debt increased 10x in 2020. People and, and investors add Bitcoin to their portfolio. Uh, and I think we're, we're just going to see this more and more and more as people just like Bitcoin question mark over their pundits and their tweets and, and like should I, should I buy Bitcoin to escape the this this system that seems to be doing weird stuff? I think we're just going to see a lot more mainstream mentions of Bitcoin as it is fulfilling the role that it's supposed to, which is to be a, a, a hedge against existential crisis. So, David, I have a question. Hmm. What does this mean for Ethereum? So. Everyone on the global world knows Bitcoin, right? And Ethereum and what Ethereum is takes like 10 times as long to explain, which is a really long time because Bitcoin takes a long time to explain too. Um, but I think, and so this is actually kind of getting into the second topic that uh, we were going to get into, which is the ratio, the ETH BTC ratio. And so like the Bitcoiner community does a really good job marketing Bitcoin as like gold 2.0. Uh, a hedge against the system, et cetera, et cetera. And it's really easy to understand that Bitcoin uh, is fulfills that role well. Uh, and in my opinion, so does Ether because it's an ultra low issuance, you know, super low stock to flow ratio, at least when Ethereum 2.0 comes around. Um, and, you know, it's it can't be printed by a central party, uh, you know, it, it's et cetera, et cetera. It has all the same fundamental value propositions as Bitcoin does, but it's just harder to explain some of the choices that Ethereum has, such as, you know, no hard cap, but instead of instead of a hard cap, ultra low uh, issuance um, and instead of proof of work, proof of stake. And uh, instead of, um, you know, digital gold, we are this asset like people. Some people call it digital oil. Some people call it like programmable store of value, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just going to be a lot harder to define. And I think that in the short term, it's very plausible that Bitcoin just like steals the narrative for the next like one to two years um, while Ether development just continues along its pace because that's what it does. It grows and grows and grows. And at some point, uh, people are going to get savvy to Bitcoin, being able, they're going to be able to comprehend it. It's going to become second nature to them. Uh, and then understanding Ethereum is going to be that much easier. They're going to get into the nuances. Uh, they're going to have services on Ethereum that they need to be exposed to. Uh, and then um, if Ethereum will be the global hedge, the 
like as it is Bitcoin is the hedge against global risk, uh, Ethereum is the hedge against global finance. Like it's the same, it's the same thing. Like Bitcoin is digital gold, Ethereum is digital finance. Uh, and so as the financial system comes under threat, uh, Ethereum can step into that role as people get more attuned to what crypto is. Um, so I think that answers your question. I find it very interesting that your solution for Ethereum is to continue writing on Bitcoin's coattails. So, uh, well, that's what the whole industry is doing. Yeah. I mean, I think the perfect example why this is the Bitcoin industry is because the cycles operate on the Bitcoin halving times. So as long as the cycles, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You can I feel like that. as long as the cycles keep coinciding with the Bitcoin having, then this is the Bitcoin industry. Um, and this is the Bitcoin marketplace. So, we're we're how many how far are we out from having uh it's gonna be next march how are we at all correlated with that right now i mean it's really and how many having halving halvings havings has there been there's been like three that's very few data so there's gonna be a fourth having but you should read the the stock to flow analysis um that plan b did but generally speaking, it is widely accepted that all of the previous uh, bull markets have kind of been on this four-year uh, cycle with, uh, you know, in correlation with the Bitcoin having event. Um, and, you know, this one is being pre-run a little bit, but that makes sense as the market gets, quote-unquote, more efficient and more people know about the having. Like, you didn't know about the having two years ago, right? Now you know about the having. So uh, a lot of people are waking up to uh, Bitcoin's monetary policy. So it makes sense that it's going to be kind of people understand it now. But at the same time, it does look as though every four years there is this crypto cycle. And that it's very correlated with Bitcoin. I think you're pulling at straws here. All right. I think, I think, I think there are two, there's two other very strong explanations for at least the last bull run. Or, or at least the repetitive cycle. And the re- repetitive cycle is just maybe a mass psychology where like you can only be euphoric for like one year and then you pop and then you go into a bear for like another year and then there's another year of flat and then there's another year of slow rise and then there's another, like maybe that's just the way that it works. And and the, the nature of human psychology is actually the, the driver of because scarcity is scarcity either way. Like that, That's not how the equity markets work. Okay, hold on. Let me, we'll go back to that, but let me finish the thought. Then the other, the other, uh, the last bull run could have totally been caused by Ethereum. 100%. The ICO mania could have been the, uh, the main, I mean, and the happening, sure, like scarcity, and maybe Bitcoin would have pumped just as much. But like the eth- Ethereum had a major role to play in the last bull run. Absolutely. I'm, I will be the first to admit it. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Ethereum, ICOs, all of that were part of the hype machine. All of that were amplification of the Bitcoin halving effect. No. <laughs> it was its own thing. You know, thing. hey, as long... Look look at Plan B's charts. Look, Plan he B. even codes months away... He even codes months away from the halving event how, in how different colors on the chart. So Plan it's in, it's in log scale. Plan B just reminds me of the fucking yeah, morning after. In, uh, it's kind of weird. Plan B at <laughs> yeah, now you should uh, you should look up at a hundred trillion okay. USD. Should I call him? Yeah. 
Is it is it the one that's pinned? It's the very yeah, very well retweeted tweet and medium article corresponding. But I mean that's it's gonna take you like a, a few minutes to to read that, but um you should d- take a deep dive into his charts and his uh the way that he he kind of shows the data is very helpful i like the the, the concept of stock to flow ratio is pretty interesting i just, i'm in the middle of the bitcoin standard right now um kind of all, all the ethereum people listening to this is like david what the fuck are you saying <laughs> the mind virus is spreading <laughs> um but yeah I, re- I really like the book actually i think it's really interesting uh i'm only like in the first third where he kind of just talks about um uh, the history of gold and the history of government fiat and uh, and just the uh, all the sh- shittiness that government money is. Um, and then he's also talking about long-term viewpoints and how hard money makes people think in long time frames. And, and so far, everything he said, I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, we'll see what happens when we get to the rest of it. Yeah, it's a good book. You should read it, but take it with a grain of salt too. It's pretty... Mm-hmm. It takes some hardline takes on art and stuff like that although i have to say i was just at Lollapalooza, and uh a lot of the music there really made me feel like it was fiat music um whatever you want to take that with yeah you're gonna have to define that for us yeah i i can't tell you how many artists were playing other artists music it was hmm. it was honestly unreal i've been to my fair share of festivals i've never experienced so many artists playing other artists' music on their live set. Like like people bringing back oldies or, or at least going back 10 or 20 years or, or, or literally everyone in, the, in Lollapalooza was just playing each other's music. It, it was like a combination of all of those things. Like it was like if you were, if it was like a rap song that you like were featured on, they would play that. Like if it was someone else's rap song that you weren't even affiliated with, like playing other hit songs from that year. It was just like, it was just a hodgepodge of just like what, who, who wrote what, you know? So, um, I feel like once you read the Bitcoin standard, you kind of get his take on the influence of fiat and soft money and how it perpetuates, perpetuates through society it kind of you kind of see it everywhere although again i i think that his views are a little extreme so one of my favorite podcasts uh, hidden forces everyone should be subscribed to hidden forces it's really really good uh a couple weeks ago he released a, a dimitri kofinas um covering delta on twitter uh released an episode with ben hunt called the narrative machine investing in a world of tall tales big games and giant cons uh, talks and he talks a little bit about crypto every now and then, like, almost pretty consistently. He mentions crypto at least just once per episode. Uh, and Ben Hunt, I don't know who this guy is. Um, actually, I'll just I'll just read who he is. Uh, speaks with investor and author of Epsilon Theory, Ben Hunt, about the power of narrative and how it is used to shape and control our behavior as investors. And Ben Hunt at the end talked about fiat news. And maybe this is exactly what you were talking about, about fiat music, um, where fiat news is just like articles that are written to satisfy some people's belief or to be shared around a community on Twitter. Like uh, you would like, for example, like I could go write an article about how good the carnivore diet is. And I'm not an expert, I'm a little bit of an expert. Um, and then that would be shared among that community, but it wouldn't proliferate out to the rest of the world, of the world because the rest of the world doesn't resonate that. But it's it's like news or articles that just is written to fit the bill for a particular community. 
and just to be shared and get clicks and likes and, and, you know, rapport for that community, regardless of whether it's like scientifically accurate or factual or backed by anything. Maybe that's why is that similar to what you were mentioning about fiat music? Yeah, I'll have to listen to that interview. And I know you've been shilling hidden forces to me for a long time. So now that you're listening to the Bitcoin standard, I should definitely listen to hidden forces, at least to, to get back to that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like disclaimer: Dimitri Kofinas is a huge bull on hashgraph of all places. So uh, take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. So uh, my point being, uh, I-, I wouldn't define it exactly how you defined it, but I would say just like something without substance, something with like created for quick clicks or you know to be a, a you know quick mm-hmm. hit. Um, so I feel like that's kind of how uh, Safedine defines it. You know, he describes, like, our culture now has no substance, whereas, like, ancient culture, when there was hard money, like, you know, Michelangelo would carve these beautiful things that take years and years of commitment to create, stuff like that. I feel like that's kind of an oversimplification, but you kind of get the underlying point, right? Is like, if you have mm-hmm. long-term thinking, like, based on some sound monetary standard that will influence you to behave a certain way. Whereas right now, you know, debt is really cheap. Um, you know, people are looking for yield. They're getting riskier and riskier. It's like, it really does change the way that you behave. Um, so I think that's, it's pretty significant. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely something like if you tweeted that out on Twitter, the Ethereum community or, or greater community would just shit on you and say like, Bitcoin doesn't solve all the problems. Like you don't, you don't solve shitty music with Bitcoin. Um, but I do understand the thought process of how you got there. Um, uh, I think I saw Eric Connor do this where uh, there was something about, I can't remember what, what it was about. Maybe it was like um, politics or something. And Bitcoiners were, were, there was some, like Elizabeth Warren was saying something about uh, spending or something. And, and the comments were like, Bitcoin solves this. Um, and, and Eric retweeted it and said something along the lines of like, it just imagine thinking this, like, you know, so like Bitcoin can't solve every problem. It's totally unrealistic. And I, and I'm kind of pulled both ways because like, I'm a huge conspiracy theorist. And so like, I love shit like this where like, there's like seven orders of operations between cause and effect. But like at the end of the day, the effect is there, but at the end of the day, there's seven like operations to get there and that means that like there's seven opportunities for some other effect to come in and fuck it all up so you can't really count on that so like i i like both um i i do think that money is at the bottom of the stack right and so if the bottom of the stack is rebuilt from government fiat to hard money that could have very significant and order consequences but like proving that to be true it's going to be actually impossible because there's there's so many variables out there. Like we don't really know like what happens when we replace government fiat with hard money. Like how far do those positive benefits go? Like it could go to does it go to like the seventh order consequence or to the second order consequence or to the fiftieth? Like we have no idea how far that will actually go. Yeah, I feel like the assumption should be it'll go to the infidieth order consequence. It's just gonna go all the way. Well, isn't that just what the universe is, right? That's that's just the butterfly theory, right? The butterfly flaps its wings in one side of the world and then causes a tornado in the other side. Literally every single atom in this universe is connected to every single other atom. It just has a series of separating um, effects between each one. And so 
we can definitively say that one thing will cause another thing no matter what they are. But what you really want to know is, well, how much does it cause it? And how much in relation to other things does it cause it? And how, how effective is it to really this, to look at that one particular, and when there are potentially, you know, an infinite number of other causes, is it really all that important to, to look at that one particular instance of cause and effect? Yeah, absolutely. And it's really easy to muddle up uh, causation with correlation with, uh, you know, a lot, you know, just trying mm-hmm. to summarize how the world works. And I think it's impossible. I agree with Nassim Taleb that, like the unknowns are so vast that we just like can't know. Um, but I do mm-hmm. think that the idea of Bitcoin as a sound money is incredibly interesting. And I don't want to keep pointing to uh, 100, at 100 trillion USD, aka plan B on Twitter. But he does do a lot of really interesting things. Like he'll do this stock to flow analysis and then he'll redo the analysis but he'll only put the inputs between 2009 and 2012, the first having, right? And then he'll still model it out and then show how close it, it you know, laid on. And the R squared, which is the term to describe how close the model, the model data hit the real life data when you backtest it, it was like over 95%, like no matter how many data points you put in. So what I think he's demonstrating is like this idea of Bitcoin as a like global monetary standard, sort of like the metric system of value or something along those lines. And what can happen if you have a me- measure of account that behaves in an extremely predictable way is that you can actually measure out things and, and, and really forecast things into the future like we haven't been able to before. Um, and it's just a completely different way of thinking. Whereas like you talk about having like a stable unit of account. Um, This is kind of like having a stable unit of what buying power is. And that buying power can get you a lot of different things at different times. So it's a kind of like putting it on its head, at least the way that people have conventionally thought about money. So we were talking about the subject on Twitter, getting into a debate, right? Where I was saying, if you have a hard cap, you cannot have stability in price. And that's what dies for, where die has a market cap that is allowed to expand and contract in order to control for price. Bitcoin has a controlled market cap that allows the price to expand and contract. Uh, And I don't think that it's ever possible that Bitcoin is going to be a stable price because of the um, bargain that Bitcoin has made, where it says we're going to maximize for a stable supply and the price will fluctuate as a result. And so we got got into this debate on Twitter and then I reached out to Andy Mel. Millennius, Millennius, uh, the former CTO at, at MakerDAO, uh, to, to come onto the podcast. And so um, we have a little document that we're about to send him, and, and he's going to come on and, and talk about that. Uh, definitely one of my heroes in, in crypto world. So that's going to be a really good conversation. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I, let's not, let's not uh, get into this and save it for that conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. But generally speaking, uh, I, I, I think that the sound money standard is really a idea of like, how do you measure value? Whereas like uh, alternative standards, I don't even know how you classify it um, is kind of like, how do we keep the price of items stable? Um, Which I think is an important distinction. Totally. How do you feel about the criticism of Bitcoin as a car that has 
locked its steering wheel and left the brick on the gas. Uh, I, I think that this idea that Bitcoin depends on inflation for adequate security is not going to be true. And it's purely because Bitcoin's price increases in terms of buying power is going to drastically outpace the halving of the block subsidy. So for as long as it ever matters, the actual buying power of the block reward will increase into perpetuity. Um, so at least until it flatlines. And at that point, um, you know, Bitcoin's going to be really important and that's going to be a completely different situation. Uh, but you will always come back to me and say that, so you're betting on Bitcoin's price rising into perpetuity. And my answer is going to be like, yeah, it's going to kill itself if it doesn't. Yeah. So, um, it's one of those things It's either the black hole of value in digital gold and the meter stick for value or, um, it's not. And then, you know, that experiment broke. Are you coming to Ethereum if that happens? I'm sure there'll be a lot of interesting options at that time. But, I mean, I'm definitely on the Bitcoin ride, and I think that has a really good chance of working. Yeah, I, I think whether you, as an investor, decide to invest in Bitcoin is going to be dependent on how you answer the question, how long is the greater fool's theory going to play out? Do you think that greater fool's theory is going to pop, like, next year or like five, 50 years, or is it never going to pop? And I think the Bitcoiner argument is that it's never going to pop. Um, I, but I, I'm fearful of the possibility that the meme that BTC orange coin price go up dies before Bitcoin becomes a global, global, you know, monetary system. And if that happens, I would not want my money in Bitcoin. Well, I mean, it's not going to fucking go to zero, but like it's going to stop going up. And, and that's like the main the main reason that people buy Bitcoin is the price goes up. And if it loses that, that's like the whole thing. So, I mean, I, I kind of disagree. I think that that is the bootstrapping function. Um, but uh, I didn't even I can't even remember exactly what I was going to say. But OK, no, no. OK, but so, it has to stop well, the thing at is, some point. The thing is you, you criticize Bitcoin's meme and you think that bitcoin's meme is gonna die right but what you don't actually into account mm -hmm. put into account that bitcoin has many memes and when one meme dies there's usually three or four to back it up right so um you know we had the buy bitcoin meme now it's turned into stacking sats digital gold and you know now this stock to flow meme is no, also emerging those are not it the just same. compound Right. And they explain things to different people. So the digital cold meme makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. Right. And you just talked about how it's working for other people. Uh, maybe the metric system of value meme is what makes more sense for other people. Maybe it's stacking sats, saving. You can buy a portion of a Bitcoin. You know, these things like really compound and they're really simple and they don't go away. Like, I feel like they're, they 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 emerge a lot faster than they die. Um, so. It's pretty interesting. No, I, I think those memes are in two different categories. You have you have the the stacking sats memes, like the literal memes you see on Twitter, and then you have the meme that causes everyone to buy Bitcoin, which is orange coin price goes up, and that's the real reason why everyone buys Bitcoin. And and you know, stacking sats meme can die and go away and be forgotten. That, that's just fine. But if orange coin price go up meme dies then the whole thing dies. See, I, I disagree. Okay, so 
like at what time frame are you talking about here like are you talking about orange coin price stops going up in 15 years like i then i think that bitcoin yeah right like that's that's the like, other half i think yeah. then at all of a sudden if, then, if, if orange coin price goes up at a hundred trillion dollars yeah then like matter. okay orange coin fucking won i'm sorry it's not going up anymore okay. <laughs> um but if you think that orange coin is gonna stop going up like tomorrow then yeah you're right like it's gonna die mm-hmm. hasn't gotten there yet right so like it's gonna stop at some point and the sooner it stops the harder the worse it is for bitcoin Exactly. Well, so uh, a way that I like to look at these networks is, is time the network's friend or is time the network's enemy? So if time is the network's friend, then it's benefiting from the Lindy effect. If time is the network's enemy, then it's a fragile system. Um, So if you think that Bitcoin lasting longer is going to actually make it better, then time is Bitcoin's friend and uh, very bullish. Um, ETH going to pop or what? Around... Beacon chain launch, yeah, for sure. We got a while. Got like four months. Do you think? I I I bet what Joseph Peters. What's his handle? Yeah, Joseph J Peters on uh on Twitter. Joe Peters has sixteen thousand followers. I think he listens to the show. Uh, early crypto investor and uh ETH bull. He bet me that ETH2 is going to ship by the end of March of March or Q1 of 2020, so March 31st, and I said it would not. I will have it known that we priced the bet in BTC and not die. So another real world use case of BTC being the uh, measure of account here. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> But yeah, hey, I got some skin in the game here. I don't think that ETH is going to ship even close to the times that are being forecasted. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, you're just kind of saying like history is going to repeat itself and Ethereum is going to have a delay and then and then it, you, you probably think that it will ship. It just won't ship on time. Is that what you're I'm saying? just saying it's going to be late. Um, and I, and I, think, I think if you were paying closer attention to Ethereum development, you might not have made that bet or be a little bit more skeptical because um the the culture around ethereum development is is now ship 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 uh and so we had that spec freeze right and so the the uh, danny ryan froze the spec on i can't remember like a, a month ago or something and that was like very strict and and like teams were rushing to get their last changes in and and you know talking about you know, any last changes and blah 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 and then and then midnight struck and that was it and so if you were too late, you were too late because you had the fucking deadline. Uh, and, and so that culture is starting to come around in, in Ethereum development. And so, uh, you know, deadlines for, you know, these tw- like 20 to 35 year old coders who all were super rich um, did matter less. Right. It's been, and they, they didn't really want to fuck with the massive Ethereum blockchain. Um, but as time goes on, you know, people start to put, put the, the heat on them saying, Hey, like, where's Ethereum 2.0? Let's get this fucking done. Um, And so like, especially with the development community, um, understanding that like the the research problems of Ethereum 2.0 have largely been solved and it's now just building the fucking code. uh, There's less of an excuse, right? Like we don't need to, we can, we can, what we have today is actually good enough no matter how it's coded and we can perfect it later, Um, but we can push it through the door. And so like now we need deadlines. 
And so that's why I'm, I'm more bullish on this particular deadline than I've been on, on previous historical deadlines. All I know, all I know is I hope Anyways, you're wrong because I just bet over a thousand dollars on this bad boy. So, yeah, and that could be more in the future. Yeah, well, I, I already secured the funds, so funding secured, guys. <laughs> we going live. And when you it, when you lose, you're paying the BTC value in Dai, so you're sending to Joe Dai, but yes. it's valued in BTC. So most likely, it's going to be a lot more Dai than it is now. Perhaps. Yeah. hopefully not hopefully not pray to god that'll make my life mm-hmm. a lot better because i'll have a lot more btc at that point yeah you're gonna need to find a btc to die pair to really value that correctly no, i don't i don't, I don't think 0.1 btc is <laughs> going to be difficult to get and die off coinbase or wherever yeah but you would have to go from btc to eth to die whatever or usdc whatever but then it's, yeah it's a, it's a it's a nuance it's a nuance Anyway. It's not going to happen. It's going to be a simple. It's going to be a simple, you know, global reserve cryptocurrency transaction of BTC to me. He's going to send you WBTC. No exchange necessary. No exchange necessary. I will not accept WBTC. I want it confirmed on the Bitcoin blockchain. And my segue address. All right. Should we wrap this up, or you got more to talk about? No, I think I think that's it. Yeah, sometimes we just you know we just rant. Guys. No, this is good. It's a good rant. I miss you though. Yep, for sure. All right. Well, uh, we should have a lot more interviews coming out Absolutely. soon. Hope you guys like this. You know where to find me at ck underscore snarks. Whoever rated us four stars, fuck yourself. <laughs> like we had seventy one five star reviews, and now we have one four star review. You asshole. God damn it. I'm so upset. The instructions are, o- <laughs> that is the instructions are always five-star reviews, so we never ask for less. Yeah, have you not been listening? What did we do? I, I, I was actually trying to scroll through to find it, but I gave up. They, they, they never commented. They never commented. Just a cold four-star. Give us a four-star reviews, and they didn't say anything. That is, that is, I'm upset. I'm upset. Okay, that's it. I'm done. All right, guys, and make sure this time, only five-star reviews. You can find the show on Twitter at POV CryptoPod. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. David Broke 3000, where can people find you to continue following you, David? You can find me at TrustlessState, both on Twitter and on Medium. Anything below five-star reviews are fiat reviews. We don't accept those. Yeah, only sound reviews. Five stars. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. See you next time.